We have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are reviewing the 1996 movie based on the 1966 hit TV show, Mission Colon Impossible. Oh, man, we have had a lot of punctuation in our titles from Mama Mia to Mission Colon Impossible. The weird thing about Mission Colon Impossible is that it is a much different movie if it's reversed to Impossible Colon Mission, <laughs> uh, which nobody wants. This podcast is brought to you pop by Pepsi AC, where every job is an inside job. <laughs> uh, now, we are reviewing this movie because... There is yet another Mission Impossible movie hitting the theater, so we decided to take a look back at the first one of the movie franchise and see what was so impossible in 1996. Man, a lot would have been solved with cell phones. I'll just say that. Like, with cell phones, it's more like, Mission, um, pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that and um, a Facebook just like, mm, yeah. hey, I wonder who this guy is. Him. Oh, okay, cool. Huh. Their Facebook was just a binder full of, okay, I want that face. I want this face. Oh, mm-hmm. I'll take that. Just give me, like, everybody. Because I might need yeah. to be everybody at some point. <laughs> I got a face guy. Now, the 1996 Mission Impossible movie was uh, inspired by the television series of the same name that ran uh, from 1966 uh, to... I want to say 1984. I'm throwing the four out there because I don't have the exact date. Uh, but I do know that it had a brief revival in the 80s. Uh, it did originally run um, from the 60s to 70s, but then had a brief revival in the 80s. And that was like the canon of Mission Impossible. I didn't know this until I did my research. This movie is a continuation of the series. The series was so popular that they oh, wow. basically made the movie as like a continuation of the series. So the character of Jim Phelps um, was like the main guy in the original Mission Impossible series. So basically, if you look at Ethan's character played by Tom Cruise in this series, his role was basically Jim's role, the main guy. And so oh. he it so this movie, like on Wikipedia, it says set years after the series. I said, what? No way. So it's set years after the original series. That really threw a lot of people off. Um, I mean, it was a big a plot twist yeah. of sabotage. Uh, but uh, I, that was just something that I thought was very, very interesting because the original series kind of followed the same formula as, you know, the movies. You get an impossible mission and you do the impossible mission. You, you recruit the ragtag group of people, uh, Ocean's Eleven style, but half. And you... You do it, and then you you fought you fought the the things, and so that's just what I wanted to lead with. It is like a continuation of the original series, so it's more like a revival. I feel like that would have been upsetting for fans of the original series to see the main character kind of end there because I don't know. It'd be like if they brought back the Indiana Jones movies and revealed that Indy was a Nazi the whole time. You know, it's like. There are basic things that I know about you as a character that just can't be true 
or would be terrible and earth shattering if they ended up to be like if my assumptions were incorrect. So, wow, I had I had no idea. Yeah, and you are absolutely correct. The fans of the original TV series hated it. And the original pitch for the movie was to have all of the original uh, cast members come back and just be killed off. Uh, and so none of the people <laughs> liked it at all. <laughs> hey, come back for a good reunion so we can, uh, you know, destroy you. Why, why are you walking away? Come on. This is a great idea. Yeah. In fact, the uh, Peter Graves, uh, who played the original Jim Phelps, declined the role to, like, be in the movie. Like, they said, hey, hey, do you want to re- revise your role? He said, no. I don't, that's, that is so untrue to the character. He's like, ooh, yeah. You know what? I respectfully disagree. It's happening. So we'll get um this guy. And so that's the kind of connection that I did want to make just off the bat. Uh, but how did, how did they decide to make Mission Impossible in 1996? Well, Paramount Pictures originally owned the rights to the television series. And they had been trying for years to make a film version. But they needed someone who was just into risky business and then enters Tom Cruise, who had been a fan of the show uh, since he was young and thought it would be a great idea for a film for his uh, debut for his production company. Hmm. And Paramount said, sure, why not? Here's $80 million. Oh and then he said, ha, this was the impossible mission, getting funding for the movie. <laughs> the making of is always more dramatic. Yes, yes. And so Mission Impossible was released in 1996, making $457 million worldwide. It was the very first film to be released in over 3,000 movie theaters in the USA. Now, adjust nerds' glasses. A wide release is known as any movie that is released in more than 600 theaters. It used to be around like 600 plus and typically nowadays... A wide release, especially for like a big blockbuster movie, is like 2,000 theaters. Like basically, if you can walk down the street to your local movie theater and a movie's there, that movie has like a wide release, especially if it has like a top billing. Um, Mission Impossible was the first movie that broke the threshold to make it 3,000 plus. So there's that notoriety. I thought it was just a subjective term being like, uh, it's it's a wide release. You know, it doesn't feel small. It's, it's wide. Big. Why not? It looks good on a poster. Say, say, say wide. Big. Bigger. Bigger. <laughs> that is a little bit of history going into the 96 Mission Impossible. I want to give you guys some fun facts that I'm so excited about. Check this out. So I'm sure you might, this might be common knowledge, but it's, it's new to me. Um, so you know where... Tom Cruise's character gets dropped down and is balancing the iconic wire scene. It's maybe like one of the most parodied movie scenes of all time, I'd say, especially uh, in the 2000s where like it had been out for four years and then everybody else did it. Yeah. Before the big Matrix like slow motion scene, it was this. <laughs> yeah. It was really. It was, <laughs> it was this. this. Yeah. Now, during that scene, uh, Tom Cruise kept on tilting over and just smacking his face face on the floor <laughs> and so i gotta see the making of <laughs> legend goes that he borrowed some pocket change from a stuntman and shoved coins in his shoes and that 
I DIY hack balanced out so that he just dropped perfectly. Like he just had pocket change in his shoes. Oh man. Yeah, thank goodness it was the stuntman's laundry day. Why is he walking <laughs> around with so much change? Oh, uh, I don't know. Try these uh, rolls of nickels. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll even you out. I got 40 bucks and quarters. Put them in your shoes. <laughs> and maybe my favorite fun fact. The very first Mission Impossible was the last film to be released on Betamax. Oh. Now, I know all you Betamax fans out there definitely have a copy of Mission Impossible. So tell us what those special features are like. I just like to imagine that the makers of Betamax, that Max himself, was in one of those 3,000 theaters and just made the decision right there. It doesn't get better than this. This will be the last one. (laughs) This needs to be the last film because films are going to get better than this. What are they going to do? Make two more of these and then reboot it again later on and make three more of those? Impossible. Nay, improbable. Nay, impossible again because of the mission. I mean, I never would have expected a franchise to go this long with the same actor. Yeah. I mean, right yeah. now, like he's rivaling you know, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Because it's been now over 20 years that he's been this character. Yeah, 22 years. Wow. And he accepts the mission every time. Every time. And those are all my fun facts, which will now self-destruct now we're going to go ahead and go into our reactions so grayson when was the first time that you watched mission impossible so i think the first time that i watched mission impossible was like the year it came out on home video like i I didn't see it in theaters uh a little too violent for that but it was just enough that i could watch it as a child uh, let's see, I would have been like, what, nine years old then? I, I don't know. Anyway, I, yeah, I, wa- I watched it like the year after it came out at home. And I remember thinking it was so cool. I actually still think it's so cool. There are some scenes that just really stick with me. Like when I think of Mission Impossible, because it's been a while since I've seen it. And I've only seen the first one and Rogue Nation. I skipped all <laughs> the ones in between. So now I, I got to go back. And I was just like, what was I, why did I do it like that? Um, but I, uh, really like this first one. The images that stick in my head are like, uh, Emilio Estevez in the elevator, like always made me, uh, cringe. Like as a kid that just really stuck out to me. I think anything with like violence to the face as a kid was really traumatizing. So like that stuck out and like the, uh, microscope in the phantom really stuck out to me. Uh, if we review that someday, I'll bring up these horrific uh, memories again. Anyway, I always thought of that part. The masks uh, coming on and off always were like a, a strong memory of just being like, they ripped their faces off. Yes. How'd they do that? I think my favorite thing, because last time I watched this movie was actually recently. Um, I, and I said recently, like within the last three to four years. Um, it was either right before we started this podcast or... Or um, a little bit into it, but I watched it for the, for the very first time. And I remember, I I guess the first time I really watched the movie was seeing the 
silhouette of then who's that guy tom cruise and my parents vhs uh collection because i just saw like i i'm sure my parents watched this movie a ton because they owned that i think they like i I remember distinctly seeing that in a vhs copy of jerry Maguire, just like right next to each other uh and my parents uh (laughs) certainly have a type they clearly have a type and so uh i think they really loved that movie but i just never saw it uh until i it was on netflix a couple of years ago and i think the biggest thing my uh, first time i watched it i was like what is happening what is he hacking into what is, what computer program is he using and then i googled it and he's using usenet i'm like i have zero frame of reference for what how he's doing half of what he's doing and also the fact that max.com wasn't taken in 1996 i'm just like oh man i really hope that the mission impossible franchise bought max.com and said this will be our domain and we'll always have it but it's not well that's when the the betamax guy was like (laughs) it was right there the whole time and i didn't buy it Max.com. That was the beginning of the end for Betamax. <laughs> the beginning of the end. Um, and, and but yeah, I I even getting past that, um, I I just thought it was so like so over the top and so complicated. Like it's funny though because I found out like they started shooting without a script. Basically, um, the legend goes mm. that the uh, director said like, "Here are the action sequences." build a story around it just build the story around the action and then make it make sense uh and so wow that's that's what they did it's a real mama mia (laughs) build around this music we have this collection what story takes place i mean action films really are just musicals where instead of music there's violence what is a punch but the song of the fist. Oh, that is so well said. <laughs> Putting it on a t-shirt. What is a punch but the song of the fist? <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. The uh, but yeah, <laughs> I was just I was just <laughs> I was just really really impressed with the um, but the, the the action. I mean, Tom Cruise is such. An entertaining actor because he is one of the few actors mm-hmm. who still does a majority of his stunts uh, and he especially as yeah. movies go progress he just keeps on running and jumping and falling out of things uh, to really add that level of tension like when he drops down to that mm-hmm. floor like that's him dropping down to the floor and i remember the the very first time i saw that like yeah. and it was so silent like there's no soundtrack there's no like music building you just hear the ambient noise and it's just like oh my gosh what's gonna happen and john krasinski was like i have an idea <laughs> oh this is such a quiet place uh, <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. Oh. And uh, but yeah, I just thought that they did a really good job with that, and uh, it was really fun yeah. to see how this massive franchise, and now they're just like crashing airplanes all the time. It's it's in the trailer so many times. They're like, how many helicopters can mm. we destroy? And how many? <laughs> how far can we drop Tom Cruise? Like that. Is, I feel like like that's the game they're playing. And so 
uh, it was fun to see it for the first time. And watching it this time, I think I picked up more on the story and what was happening, especially knowing how everything was, you know, happening story-wise. Like, just like, oh, this person's doing this thing. Uh, I could see and play the game a little bit more. I'm like, oh, so he's trying to figure yeah. this out. Like, I, I, the first time the plot just completely flew over my head. I'm just like, I, what's happening? Like, it what but seeing it this time around like oh Oh, it's a revenge scheme he's like he's trying to get the guy who took out his team like that's his motivation because first time i watched him like why is he doing all this like why why is he going to usenet and emailing this random person what are they doing why do they want this (laughs) what's happening but now i i i I understand it yeah I, i do think they expect a lot from the audience which i appreciate like brian de palma puts these pieces in place and just says like you better be paying attention um even the way that when ethan is kind of realizing what's happening it's such a great scene because what he is saying is what he thinks john voight wants to hear but what we are seeing is what actually happened and it took me a second to be like oh that is so great to show us like the truth but hear the lie and uh, I, I mean, I, I love the editing on that sequence. And even then, to see uh, multiple versions of events to play to Ethan's own bias of mm-hmm. what he wishes was true or what he is willing to believe is true. Um, and I mean, it felt uh, it felt real. It felt like it fit in the world without it being like a dream sequence or anything like that like it was just a really strong editing choice and i think like it kind of played to the the stylistic cool choices um and it's amazing that it's grown into what it is now because you look at the technology of it too and you're like oh that seems so dated now but this story has been consistently marching forward to present day and to see that gap that's why it hits you of like oh man 22 years He's been doing this for, two, and then I think that that really makes Henry Cavill's uh, line in the trailer for Fallout make a lot more sense. Where he's like, "How many times can he do this? Like, how, how long can a man put up with something like this before he just totally breaks?" And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. He has been disavowed and backstabbed, double-crossed so many times, but he has, you know." maintained his status as the good guy yeah i really think that what they did like his this was supposed to be you know mission impossible for the new age we have usenet (laughs) and smoking on airplanes (laughs) (laughs) that's the other thing really threw me i'm like 1996 oh when when maintain a low profile light a cigarette on an airplane (laughs) That's the real Mission Impossible, am I right? <laughs> All right, and that ends our reactions, which just self-destructed. Now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to... Head cannon. Headcanon is the part of the show where we like to share with you unique ideas and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. So my biggest piece of headcanon, Grayson, is for a movie you haven't seen. So I'm not going to share it. But I'm just... What? (laughs) I'll just take my headphones off. Well, I'm just going to say, for those of you who have seen Vanilla Sky, you connect the dots. 
But my other piece of headcanon is that the Mission Impossible... So, uh, kind of a fun fact that I just learned. Um, the IMF that they kept on referring to so casually stands for the Impossible Missions Force. Oh, wow. That... Why would you ever apply? It's like, hey, we got a club. It's called the Suicide Squad. You in? And you'd be like, wait a minute. I need some more information. The information's in the position. When do we meet? Uh, so basically, um, my headcanon is that the Impossible Missions Force is um, the same as whatever agency 007 is a part of. Except... Oh, okay. Secret er, or secret adjacent. Mm. I originally thought of some headcanon, but it was just too sad to connect the dots, and that was that Emilio Estevez was the same character from Breakfast Club and just changed his name for the CIA. <laughs> oh, okay. But that's pretty dark. So I went with a simpler headcanon, and that's John Voight is the same character as Lara Croft's dad from Tomb Raider. So he's just full of secrets. Full of secrets. Nice. That's right. He was that guy. That's the guy. And I also remember my other headcanon. So now my headcanon um, has to do with uh, another lovable um, character in Mission Impossible. The only other guy besides Tom Cruise who has shown up in every single Mission Impossible movie since the reboot. And oh. that is none other than Ving Rhames. Yeah. Ving Rhames, his character, is the same character from Pulp Fiction, Marcellus Wallace. Oh. Mr. MacGuffin himself. Um, <laughs> I think that he is the same character because he became disavowed. And, you know, what else are you mm-hmm. going to do? Um, but yeah. carry around the briefcase and not be all right. Uh, it makes sense why he needed a band-aid on the back of his head. It's a mission wound. Huh? You know, from, from when he was in the field. <laughs> I get him. Head band-aid. <laughs> All right. And that brings an end to head cannon, which just self-destructed. <laughs> now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. So if this uh, movie were to be remade today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? And I'm actually going to say this. If this franchise were to be rebooted today, who would you cast? Who would you... What would the storyline be? I think that this is so ripe for a TV revival. Like, I would love for Netflix or um, Amazon, Hulu, someone to reboot this as a series, take it back to, like, take it back to (laughs) its source material and I think that that would be so good. And I would cast here. Here's my team. So the reason um, why uh, Vin Rames was cast as the role as the hacker is because he doesn't look like your stereotypical hacker. Mm. Um, and so I kind of wanted to go in that same vein. Um, if he's not too busy making every other movie, uh, I would love if Dwayne Johnson were to be uh, the hacker. <laughs> um I know he showed up in Get Smart, a very similar movie, Um, but I just think that he would be a really great hacker. Uh, But as our, uh, if we are rebooting the Mission Impossible movie series with um, Ethan, 
I would love for Ethan to be played by one of three people. Mm-hmm. Um, if we want to go like super young, um, Josh Hutcherson. Oh wow, that that's is young. very young. But I, I think that that could be part of the charm. It's just like he's the youngest agent. But then that's just a reboot of Agent yeah. Cody Banks, which we'll save that for a future <laughs> recast remake. Um, but if not him, then Joseph Gordon Lovett. That's who I had. Shut up. No way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that he would be great. Right. He can play intense, but also charming. And then everyone else would be the cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So Got it. Actually, Love I said it. one of three people. <laughs> um, I, oh, Terry Crews. Terry Crews. Duh, Ricky. Never mind. Terry Crews. The Rock is too busy doing everything else. Nice. Oh. That's good. Yeah, yeah. But I think another good um, Ethan would be um, James McAvoy. Oh, he would be good. Yeah, he'd be very good. Oh, for yours, actually, if they did make it um, a TV series again of Missions, colon, Impossible, I would uh, love it if Tom Cruise was in the pilot episode as Ethan Hunt, but he is... He has come full circle to where John Voight is at the beginning of this one, just to make every generation angry. <laughs> You mean he would just pay it forward? Oh no! Uh, but yeah, for for uh, if they were just to remake this movie, um, I I had Joseph Gordon-Levitt as as Ethan Hunt for um, the John Voight character. I had Jeff Daniels. He's oh, yeah. uh, really great with with drama and political intrigue. Um, for Claire, plays uh, John Voight's wife, uh, played by Emmanuel Bayard. I believe her name is. Uh, I would have Emily Blunt, and then I realized I just really want to rewatch Looper, uh, and that's why all three of them are in it. But then for Ving Rames' character, uh, Keenan Thompson, he would be amazing. Like yes. him trying to do the sleight of hand thing, yes. him reacting to the monitors, uh, it'd be great. Absolutely, yes. And that concludes our section of Recast Remake, and surprisingly, this one didn't self-destruct. So um, I guess that's... Oh, well, but keep this put on the shelf. Yeah, just frame oh, it. Oh, de- oh, declare it at customs. Oh, Grayson, no, yeah. I, I'm oh. sorry. I, I misread it. It's going to, if we don't finish up the podcast in an undisclosed amount of time, then the podcast will self-destruct. Yeah. Oh, like as a brand? Yeah. Or maybe have have another incarnation and then a break and then reboot itself with Ghost Protocol. Who knows? Oh, man. But we have to finish the podcast as soon as possible. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1996 movie Mission Impossible? It really is the film that started it all. Um, I, I never watched the TV show, and I never felt like I was really missing parts of the story because of that. Um, I, when I saw Rogue Nation, I did feel like I was missing parts of the story because I had only watched the first one. But if you look at Ethan Hunt as some kind of like modern uh, superhero, basically like a Batman without the mask, he, uh, this is his origin story. This is what pushed him to the point of having to uh, basically be on the run for the rest of his life. It seems like so. Uh, it's uh, got a lot of great story to it. It's fun. The, the pieces, they give you just enough information. And maybe you guess the ending. That's fine. But the way they go about getting to the ending is just as much fun. And uh, I, I, 
I think whenever you can make the journey as fun as the reveal, you got a good thing going. So uh, for that, I recommend it. And just Tom Cruise is, I mean, he, he does the stunts. He performs the scenes. He puts everything into these movies. And what's amazing to me is just from what I've seen of the trailers, it seems like he is still putting the same level of intensity into his performance now as he did in this first one. So for that, the movies feel super consistent. Maybe not in technology and style and all that, but Ethan Hunt feels like the same person. And, and that's pretty fun. So uh, I recommend rewatching it, uh, especially if it's been 22 years since you've seen it. Um, and uh, if you can, you know, check it out on Betamax because, you know, <laughs> they could use a win. They could use a win. It's the purest format. Next to Laserdisc. We all know that. Uh, yeah, I would recommend this movie because it is so interesting to see action movies in another time period. I know, I think there's a phrase, uh, watching movies with the arrogance of the future, basically. Uh, yeah. Like, you're like, oh, well, why didn't they just do this? Like, that's the arrogance of the future. But, like, setting it in that time period and watching it and seeing how the stakes were, like, oh, yeah, that's right. They can't just call someone. Like, that little device that he put over a payphone. I'm like, well, I don't even know where to begin to understand what that's supposed to do. But it's technology <laughs> that exists, apparently. Like, that's amazing. Like, it, it's interesting to see how technology progresses forward to make things easier for us today and how people did and accomplished things without it. And, like, he basically solved this case by emailing people. I don't know when's the last time that you just tried to email a bunch <laughs> of people in different languages to take down, like a double agent but ethan did <laughs> call it a tuesday <laughs> ethan did and that's what it took in 1996 and so i just think that 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 part alone is entertaining for me especially so i i think it's interesting to watch movies and see how stakes were raised that way and when's the last time you watched a movie where floppy disks were the central plot point when when was it mm. when was it if you can't Cite it, then you need to watch Mission Impossible because they he, they do sleight of hand tricks with floppy disks. So, yeah, that's a good treat. But really, all in all, Mission Impossible is fun and it's great to see the start of a franchise that's grown so so much. So, that's why I recommend it. And really, it truly was Mission Impossible. <laughs> And that is our review of Mission Impossible. And the podcast hasn't even self-destructed yet. So we're doing oh, good. Uh, I feel like they warned us way too early. <laughs> now, let us know what you remember about the uh, 1996 Mission Impossible on Twitter. We love talking to you guys and reminiscing over there. Uh, we are at Flashback Flicks. And your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, it would really, really help the show out. Let people know that this is the podcast where impossible missions of reviewing um, movies of yore happen on a weekly basis. On a scale of one to five impossible missions, uh, one being one, mm -hmm. uh, five being Rogue Nation. That's really like the max 
dot com. <laughs> a scale of one to five, Mission Impossible on Betamax. How would you rate this podcast? Yeah, on a scale of beta to max. Yeah, <laughs> just, you know, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> and be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Kaboom! Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. You got a friend in Toy Story. Bow, bow.